Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landway. All right. Well, um, today I am joined by Victoria Lures, and I'm really excited to chat with you, Victoria, about your... I mean, probably this conversation will go much broader than the the recent book that you've published, Church of the Wild, is my guess. But sort of starting with that as a foundation for the conversation and just digging in. And I know my listeners will probably be pretty interested. There's, a, I think, a very vibrant conversation at the moment about a lot of the, I don't know, I guess I would say functional, economic social elements of regeneration and what it means to reconnect human society to a thriving planet. Um, And in this case, I think that this is an opportunity for us to talk a little bit more about the spiritual side and the mystical side and the side that's harder to explain or maybe capture into language. And so, yeah, I'm excited to dig in with you and thanks so much for uh, joining us. Yeah, thank you for finding me. <laughs> yeah, do you want to just start with maybe just a brief introduction to yourself and, yeah. you know, maybe a little bit about the adventure that you're on right now? Um, <laughs> your nomadic adventure at the moment. Yes. Seems like there's probably some some very juicy stuff to pull out there. Yeah, sounds good. Well, it's a I'm excited to meet you and to be introduced to your community and looking through your website a bit. Um, these are the kinds of conversations, these multidisciplinary conversations that are needed right now. It is not any one of these uh, areas, these disciplines, but it's all of them. And as we sort of on the left tend to, uh, tend to diminish the others that aren't what we believe is the central focus. We, we diminish the whole movement. And so I love that you're bringing in all the different voices and specialties that are needed. So thank you for your commitment and work. Let's see how to tell us very quickly. I, I call myself a wild church pastor, although I think I'm probably a little bit more right now uh, maybe a wild church apostle, <laughs> because I'm not uh, I'm not leading a uh, local wild church right now. I'm in the midst of a year long, as you mentioned, uh, at least a year of um, uh, nomadic life of kind of just going where I'm called, literally called to do a workshop or something like that. And now that it's sort of post ish pandemic and people are gathering together again. I've been doing a lot of different uh, workshops in different places. And um, so I just have surrendered to that invitation and um, spending this next year at least uh, working on my next book, which is about um, how to belong to place when place doesn't belong to you. And, um, you know, so that's not only for somebody like me who's nomadically traveling around and not belonging, you know, living in one place, but also to all of us, because it's not really true that a place belongs to us. You know, that what is, how do we change that paradigm, even if we, you know, own property to shift that around that the, the place that we belong to this place and this planet. Um, so I'm interested in that, that is, that has economic and social and functional elements, but is also um, a very much a spiritual issue. Um, I was a pastor within, you know, sort of traditional independent churches for on and off for about uh, 25 years. And I took a 
long seven-year break in the middle of that and led a youth climate nonprofit with my son, starting from when he was 12 till he was about 18, and then kind of came back into the church for a little bit, knowing that the burnout I experienced in the church was not dissimilar to the burnout I experienced within the environmental movement. And in that place of like just confusion and emptiness was when I turned to the land herself, um, you know, just like spent hours under this huge oak tree where I lived in Southern California. And in that place and in uh, a workshop that I did, a five-day intensive I did with Bill Plotkin, I, who I know you've had on your show before, looking at our uh, shadow side, uh, but doing that inner inner work in relationship with with the land herself brought about a transformation within myself and within the other participants. And Bill Plotkin was pretty insistent that his work is not spiritual. I think you might say it's it's all connected psycho spiritual work. But he was like, "This is not spiritual work. We're, this is this is depth psychology." But it absolutely is. It's very spiritual work. And after that five days, in that place of like nothing is, you know, burnout, um, when I went to that first program about seven years ago is when it started to come together for me that these are not separate, that this deep connection with the sacred that I had been experiencing my whole life in relationship with the natural world and my connection with the sacred that I found in in the church <laughs> Tempered then by abuses within human community, within the church, which has become complicit with empire throughout the centuries. But finding that these are not separate, and, and we in our culture, and definitely in the church, separates them. That our spirituality is one thing, and our connection with nature and taking care of the planet is another thing. Even though 30 years ago I did work uh, to help the conservative uh, evangelical right <laughs> to see that caring for creation was part of their own tradition and legacy and heritage and was not a, a political agenda at all. And it was, it was pretty successful. It was sent out to 50,000 evangelical churches, you know, what was that, 30 years ago. But we've become more and more polarized since then. So that separation between uh, our our core spiritual life and the rest of the natural world is deeply embedded in our culture and in our religions and um, and it's shifting it's starting to change but it's that that third way that reconnected way reconnecting our spirituality our lifestyle our way of being in intimate relationship with the more than human others that are in our um, home place became the core piece for me that that brought me out of that place of um, burnout and into a new way of of practicing um, practicing religion honestly not just spirituality but religion religion actually means reconnection legios it's religios is the latin word and legios is like a ligament it means reconnection and so human beings have always had religion because we tend, I think, to disconnect, to ex exile. The exile and return is like a, a rhythm, a pattern of being human. And so we need spiritual practices to reconnect with the natural world, re to reconnect with one another. And so that's when I started the Church of the Wild, which is a 
practice of being in community and uh, bringing, creating and um, adapting spiritual practices to reconnect with the natural world as sacred is really the whole point of it. And after I did that, I started to meet other spiritual leaders who were doing the same thing uh, with different influences and realized that this is a work of, um, this is a larger story, a larger story of spirit as well as earth herself calling people into relationship once again. And um, so then started the Wild Church Network and there's over 2,000 different communities that are starting up uh, in North America mostly. And then also about seven years ago, started Seminary of the Wild for people to go deeper into, uh, into this work, into their calling as a leader to reconnect uh, people in their spiritual lives and the rest of the natural world. And it's now, Seminary of the Wild is now called um, um, Center for Wild Spirituality. Um, it's a broader, it's broader than within the Christian uh, religion. There's a lot of, probably half the people that come through our programs aren't connected with Christianity. And in fact, those edges between, you know, us versus them, these different kinds of denominations are important for identity, I suppose. But I think what the age that we're entering into, those edges are dissolving. And so it's important to emphasize that this isn't about a particular religion, it's about connecting with the sacred directly through the more than human others who are our teachers and preachers and uh, co-congregants in in practicing reconnection religion yeah that's all really interesting i mean there's a few different things that sprung up as you were telling that little arc of just your work and some of my questions I guess are I, maybe just to probing curiosity of in order to learn just from where you're sitting with your experience and sort of having started out as a pastor and ha- having started out within the church, how would you delineate or differentiate between religious and spiritual in the way that you use those two words? to start. And I don't want to go too deep into all of like that world, but I'm just really curious because I think that that's a good conversational foundation. I think so. I think within the last three years, um, you know, Pew does a study every year of the religious practices of Americans. And uh, up until three years ago, the top, you know, it used to be the, the Roman Catholics were the were the top um, affiliation for Americans, and then it's been evangelicals for a while. And a few years ago, I think it's about three years ago, spiritual but not religious is the top religious group in America right now. And I think I would have affiliated more with spiritual but not religious, and I think the way that's meant is like, we're tired of the religious trappings of control, <laughs> of telling us what what God means, what it means to be in relationship with God. I mean, it's patriarchal, it's racist, it's control, it's, you know, all of those things are real. And so, I think people are wanting to distance from that. So, spiritual but not religious meant, you know, I have a relationship with the sacred, it's my own way, I don't listen to the, the institutions of patriarchy, essentially. <laughs> and so, I would identify that way. But it, once I understood what, what religion actually means, I'm sort of re-embracing it and redefining it. 
just as I redefine, just as the work of Church of the Wild, like just, just putting wild with church kind of redefines it, even if you're not somebody who's drawn to church. It's sort of interesting to see, oh, what is Church of the, of the Wild, not in the wild, not just in the wild, but of the wild? What does that actually mean? It, it arouses a curiosity. And I'm feeling that way about the word religion now, that to be spiritual is sort of like your own personal way of being in the world and religion is a way of reconnecting with one another, with your community, with the land. So I guess I'm, I'm redefining it for myself and starting to talk about that. But I, I think that uh, most people see religion as connected with the institution. Right. It seems like religion has connotations of ritual and community and maybe commitment to a liturg- liturgy or, you know, maybe some sort of dogma. Right. Um, it's the dogma and the and the control and those kinds of things that we that we're wanting to transcend. But the things we want to still, you know, hold on to are the ritual, are, is the community, is the sense of belonging, is the sense of shared values. So there are there are some things that are worth holding on to and there are some things worth very much worth letting go of. So I think we can redefine religion, but in general, you know, when you use the word religion in our culture, it has a lot of that, you know, reality of institutional uh, collusion with um, colonization and empire and control and dogma. But it doesn't, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's meant to be. It's like what humans do, what we do. It's what we do with things. We screw it up <laughs> and, we, and we come back again, you know. We do that as, as individual humans, right? Like, we, we aren't perfect. We mess up. We hurt people. And it's the coming back together. It's the ongoing conversation that, that keeps us in relationship. That is how we evolve and grow. And, and that's what love is. Love is that making mistakes and, and allowing that and working them out and forgiving and starting again. And so to yeah. have that kind of relationship with one another and with the land, you know, because we can get stuck feeling the pain of, of the damage that we're, that we're dealing with right now in our culture. And it can make us feel frozen. And until we can, you know, sort of like not just reckon with it, but really do the deeper work of looking at it, seeing it, making amends, forgiveness, and entering in in a new way, that's the way through. So we do have some things to learn from uh, traditional religions to include those pieces and transcend the others. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. You were mentioning that there's about 2,000 or more communities that are sort of coming together and exploring this in this wild church network. And what would one expect if you know, if a listener was like, oh, this is interesting, I kind of want to connect with with a local community and just like go see or participate or share. What is it like? Like, what do people, I'm sure there's a whole spectrum of expressions, but yeah. what's the, you know, maybe what are some of the patterns and w- what are people, what is working in this balance as people are exploring what to keep and what sort of rituals or ceremonies or ways of engaging are making sense and what are things that maybe are being left behind? Are there patterns there that you're starting to see? 
Yes, exactly. It's a perfectly worded question, actually, <laughs> because it's really just observing what's emerging. And we don't, in the network, we don't say, here's how you do it, here's the one, two, three, because it's very particular to place. It's very particular to who the, who the person is who feels that they just need to start this. Uh, you, most people are saying, I just need to do this for me. If anybody else comes, great. <laughs> um, so that's true whether they're a pastor and they start of a traditional church and they start a community of their own on the side. They don't even, a lot of them don't even try to bring their uh, church community along um, because they know it's something they need that where they're, they need for themselves to have that kind of um, practice and community. There are, of course, then many ways of, of living this out. Some communities are more activists, you know, and they're involved in local activism, uh, ecological protection. Some communities do, um, you know, are involved with a land trust and do that kind of work, or they'll do community gardens, you know, so they're very active. Some communities are very contemplative, and they go into the forest and they silently listen, you know, for most of the time. It's like a Quaker forest meeting or something. Um, I would say the one piece, uh, there's a few pieces that I have observed are common. One is they meet outside. They're not inside of buildings. But that can be anywhere from, a, you know, outside the city limits on a, off of a hiking trail. It could be a city park. It could be a parking lot. You know, where the there was one in Vancouver I went to where the crows roosted. And so we, we met in a Costco parking lot. And the crows came in in the, in the hundreds um, and just spending the time paying attention and listening to them. But the, I think, so that's, that's common. Um, another piece is this um, practice of wandering, which is a core practice that Bill, that Bill Pluckin uses in Animus Valley Institute work. Um, it's a core piece that the nature and forest therapy guides, uh, you know, forest bathing folks utilize. It's a common practice of slowing down and entering into relationship. So it's not just slowing down in order to, um, you know, feel relaxed and, and enjoy the pretty trees and the beautiful sunset or something. That's part of it. But the part of it that is church of the wild is that we are entering into, back into full relationship. We are remembering that we are part of nature. We are remembering ourselves again, remembering ourselves again back into the larger beloved community that goes beyond our species that we're not used to. And so that takes practices of, of reality, of, of remembering that we are not only in physical community, that, that the air that we're breathing and the water we drink and the food we eat are all shared by the, uh, the others on the planet, but we are also emotionally connected and we're spiritually connected. And we as a, as a culture have forgotten that and forgotten how to even uh, have conversations uh, beyond, not just beyond uh, our species, but even beyond our own little, you know, circles. Like we've become so polarized as humans that it's difficult to have a conversation with somebody on, you know, another end of a spectrum of you. And then multiply that when you go outside of your species. But we have it within us. We have the capacity to engage with the more than human others in a way that is spiritually real. And so, you know, our indigenous brothers and sisters never lost the capacity to do that. 
And all of us come from some, you know, if you go back enough ancestrally uh, generations, you'll see that all of our uh, ancestors had deep earth-based spiritual relationships with their place. They were disconnected systemically by uh, colonization and, um, you know, empire, <laughs> because you can't take over a land of people unless you disconnect them from the land. And, um, and so just othering the land became part of our Western culture. And so we need to learn these, these practices again. So the centerpiece practice of that is this wandering. So we'll gather, you know, all the, there's a lot of uh, wild churches have a similar framework as what I'm going to say right now. So we'll gather in a circle somewhere outside. Some places have drumming, some places have music, some singing, some places have extended silence of just listening and remembering where you are. Some places look to all the directions to uh, bless and, and, um, and honor all of the beings in all directions. And then there's a, uh, an invitation, it leads to an invitation to go out beyond the circle and wander individually. To use John Muir's word, saunter, to saunter uh, slowly, to walk reverently among these others and in this place and allow yourself to be drawn to a particular um, other, a particular, you know, place, a little place along the shoreline, a, a grasshopper, you know, whatever it is, and just to, to linger there and to listen and, and, you know, maybe bring your journal in and see what poem comes through you. Uh, maybe enter into conversation of, you know, I love the Mary Oliver poem, uh, Wild Geese, in the middle of it, she says, tell me of despair yours, and I'll tell you mine. Just sharing, you know, what's burdening you, and, and really listening to these others as separate, sacred beings, seeing what emerges for you. And, you know, often people go out and they'll they'll feel drawn to a, you know, a tree or something, and they'll sit there and a connection that they don't really have words for. And they'll come back to the circle then. Everybody comes back after, you know, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, comes back in the circle and shares their experience. And that's the church service. You know, it's like we're learning to listen again. We're learning to be in conversation. We're learning to honor each other's experience of the sacred and, and to name it for what it is. To name that you're, you're in this, um, you have this opportunity to sit underneath a, a, you know, an ancient oak tree, and you have memories or thoughts that come up as you're, as you're there and paying attention with all of your senses. And, you're, and you can feel emotions, and some of those are your own emotions. Some of them might be something you're feeling from, from the land. Some of them might be the feelings um, mediated by the sacred presence. You know, it's like it's, there's no dogma about it. Like, it's just being open to what emerges and sharing that with others sort of like when you share a dream with somebody like you can you can have a dream and you go oh that's interesting maybe it means this or that but when you share it with other people and they get and you get their curiosities and they're noticing different things then it comes alive for you more and it's something you can really become some psychic material you can you can work with and if you bring it, and so it's just like creating these relationships and as we create these relationships we actually are opening ourselves up to falling in love to falling in love with your place, to falling in love with particular places, because we fall in love with the particular. You can't just love the whole earth because it's too big, you know. 
you fall in love with particular other beings and other places. And as you fall in love, a relationship happens and then you're committed you identify then with this place and you're committed to protecting it. And then it's based on relationship, not just on a sense of morality of what's right and wrong and we're all going to die if we don't do this, which isn't untrue. But it's not appealing then to people's fears. It's, a, it's appealing to the fact that we care about these others and we're in kindred relationship with them. And as long as we're not in kindred relationship, then it's a constant fight of campaigning, of you know, trying to change things because it's the right thing to do or because it's the political, you know, way to a, a better way of living or something. But it's it's then just based on relationship. It's like, I love this place. I love these this particular tree out here. I have a relationship with this deer that comes to my house every day. It just changes the the way you are in the world, which is kind of the point of, of church, right? <laughs> It's not just about going and enjoying some nice music and a good saying hi to your friends. It's like, it's about we need support as we change our value system. The value system is the thing that needs to change in order for all of these other economic and technological and, you know, energy-based things to happen. They do have a spiritual foundation. So, this is about creating practices to make that shift. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious about your perspective about the relationship between, I guess, this new, maybe decentralized religion approach, where people are taking responsibility for their own experience and grounding that in a specific place and context, and politics, the relationship between, because as as you noted, I mean, I think religion has a very long history, not just in the West, in many cultures of a deep connection with the political or, you know, the, the structures of power. You know, there's probably many reasons for that. <laughs> As you were mentioning, you know, that's probably the reaction to that is probably a big part of the spiritual, not religious, <laughs> the new denomination of right. spiritual and not religious <laughs> But I'm, you know, I'm curious, what is the relationship from your perspective? Because also in, in the course of the conversation, you min- you mentioned sort of like we the left. So I get the sense that you have some political sensibilities and, and obviously like worked for a period of time with your son on climate, you know, and that's essentially a political act. So I'm, I'm just curious, what's a healthy relationship between the political and the religious in this moment in history. So that's one question. I'm also really curious just about if this is resonating across political boundaries, you know, in this time of polarization, or do you feel like it's particularly resonating sort of only within certain communities that already sort of have their mind made up? Um, Probably, you know, I, I do see there are, there are some communities, some wild church communities who, who are from the, evangelical or Baptist or, you know, sort of more conservative political communities, they're going to have a little more, a lot more resistance <laughs> if they're trying to stay connected with, with, their, with the institutional church because it's all been politicized. You know, these issues have been politicized. So, caring about the land has been politicized within conservative churches. And resistance to that becomes resistance to, you know, a political ideology on the left. 
So, so there are definitely, there's definitely more people who would probably politically align with the left within this movement. That is true. I think it has the capacity to, to breach that because the one thing we do have in common is that we live here. You know, we live on this land. I have, I have hope that, that, that the land and survival within the growing climate crises will give us those opportunities to have more conversations across this polarity and find that literal common ground um, that becomes a common ground for, for conversation beyond just sort of spouting political ideologies. <clears throat> but I think, you know, the other part of your question is what could a healthy connection between our political selves and our religious selves, what could that look like? And I, I think that the role that connecting with the land plays is essential in, in that more healthy relationship. Because one of the things is we need to learn how to trust our own inner authority. You know, like that having this meme conversation that's not really even a conversation of just spouting ideologies back and forth, that's not a conversation. You know, in order, in order to deepen beyond that, you have to have be in touch with your own inner authority so that everything is not defined by external authorities. And empire has an agenda of disconnecting us from that inner authority because that leads to trouble, right, to the dominant culture. And so I think a political response to this intimacy of our place is essential. You, you can't really disconnect it. And if you do, it becomes just sort of like a, you know, spiritual bypass even, of like, isn't this land beautiful? Oh yeah, well, it's being deforested tomorrow and I just don't have the time to do anything about it, you know? I mean, it just, it auto, it, it necessarily is interconnected. But if it's interconnected in a way that's birthed out of relationship, relationship with the community, relationship with the complex communal issues, as well as the relationship with the more than human community, that there are more uh, values here than what's best for the humans. You know, how is this best also for the land and the waters, not just because we need the land and the waters to survive, but because they have inherent value, which I think is inherently a religious issue. The, the personhood of, uh, and the, the sacred reality of all things is included in almost every religion, um, but it's overlooked when we get into issues of, um, you know, human thriving and particular humans that thrive and the others that are not as important, which is what we do in our culture. So, you know, how we engage politically can be influenced by our, is influenced by our spiritual and religious reality. And so, as long as we keep it in that place of, um, you know, just, just following the external authorities who are not necessarily the ones to be trusted. <laughs> that keeps us in a in a uh, place of powerlessness. So I think I think you know one of the things I'm doing when I'm g going to Scotland tomorrow um, is uh, talking with some of the people in the in the Hebrides Islands who have engaged in some very powerful political activism that has had meaningful change has happened. And it's based in, the first step is 
having people is is helping people to reconnect with their place as sacred, to reconnect with their place in an intimate way of remembering stories, remembering writing new songs, you know, like really falling in love again. And out of that, then comes uh, uh, energy to be engaged in political activism that protects the place from usually corporate or um, usually corporate uh, abuse. And so that takes more than just like the constant raising money and trying to get people to sign things and whatever, like, like, cause you should do this. It's like, we're so mobile too in this country that it's hard to, it's hard to do that. But how do we reconnect people how to fall in love with their place again, to know that they belong to a larger story. And in that, then you're not just like doing a political action or going out and voting cause you should, but it's like, you're protecting your kin, you know? These you're protecting like your own daughter, and you do it because you care and you're in love, and so it just feels like they're they're intimately connected, but in a very different way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, sort of a side note: Have you come across the story of place, Regenesis Group's story of place? I've heard it, but I'd love to hear more about it. Um, well, I mean, it's a really awesome group of humans based out of. I mean, members of Regenesis live all over, but I think they're based out of Santa Fe. Um, Story of Place was developed in order to reconnect communities and bring them together to regenerate a story of place. And so they're doing sort of deep geological history mm-hmm. of the place and their and cultural history of the place. And over the course of their process sort of the essence of the place is revealed Mm -hmm. just like you could tune into the essence of a of a human like everyone is unique and everybody has some sort of unique thing that it's not just personality it's not the superficial stuff it's something that's more core to that that. and they use it as a part of their you know that it's a sort of design and architecture group at the end of the day, they're using it to work with municipalities or groups to start yeah. to re-anchor design decisions about a community in, you know, into the authority of the community and the place mm-hmm. instead of kind of imposing some external ideal of what how things should work or why they should work some way, but actually to sort of source it from the place instead. And that's really, you know, I think it's quite a transformative um, and, and very resonant with what you're talking about, right? Where um, there's a process and that story place, I think they are sourcing quite strongly from some sort of a lineage of living systems frameworks. You know, there's different schools that have been born, but that would be, you know, like John Bennett or Gurdjieff or and Carol Sanford and other people who are sort of working with these frameworks. And and they're also like the Kabbalah or, you know, those sorts of frameworks are all over in in different traditions where you're kind of like using an open framework to explore a set of questions. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that's, that's kind of what is happening in these little wild churches. And they don't know that, you know, it's just like, they're just responding to this sense of this needs to happen. I, I need to do this. <laughs> and so, you know, like land acknowledgements are always included in a wild church service. And, and, and we encourage not just like, you know, this is the land of the, the Chumash 
unceded territory, not just to say it, but to really do the research and find out what happened. And, and there's a complexity in it, you know, that we can't simplify. So like in the Wild Church in California, I invited the, the Chumash, um, one of the elders, to come to one of our services after a big fire. We had a Ash Wednesday in the Ashes service and invited her to be part of that. And, and then she just started coming. And I actually, she took over the spiritual leadership of the Wild Church there in Ojai, California. And it, it was resonant with, you know, how, how she connected with the land and she, and she could bring, bring these old stories. And, and so then we could, we could say, oh, we're, we're like the new, you know, emigrants into this place. And so it's like, Knowing that doesn't just lead to feeling guilty or feeling like, okay, I've said my thing, I've said my land acknowledgement, I'm moving on, but it's an invitation into relationship. And so we are the new people that live here, and these are the elder elder people that that have lived here for 10,000 years. And how can we be in more intentional community? What does that mean for us? I mean, it's, it's an initiation for those kinds of dialogues. I love that regenesism story of place. I, I'm aware of it, but now I'm going to research it more, connect with those people. It's it. Yeah, really interesting group of humans there too. Mm. Interesting community. So I think my last big question for our time together is kind of digging in maybe to something that's practical in you know, what, what's the sort of invitation that you might make to someone who's listening to this about, and, and passionate and connected to the, the role of humans, maybe generically, and in, in how we change business or change society to become forces for regeneration? In What's the invitation into an exploration of kind of a personal and place-based spiritual explanation uh, exploration what how how do you pose that invitation what does it sound like and you know what might be steps that people could be thinking about yeah i might uh offer an invitation to remember that we're not in this alone that the land has some kind of agency of survival (laughs) and the invitation then is to listen to go on the places where you normally walk, to wander off the trail perhaps, and really with an intentionality of listening, like cross a threshold, cross a threshold, go off the pathway. And when you cross a threshold, be really intentional and open up your fullness of your uh, human capacity for intuition and imagination and communication and remembering that you belong to this place and which is like a real intentionality step over a you know a log that's on the ground and have that be an intentional threshold that you're crossing into an enchanted reality that we can't see every day you know and it's just uh engage it like play <laughs> engage it in a playful way i i read somewhere that um to change uh you know sort of like a neural pathway of a habit of thinking. It takes between, you know, like five and 600 times of thinking in this new way before it becomes the new neural pathway. But if you, if you engage in that intentional changing of the way you think and the way you view and your worldview, if you do that in the context of play, it only takes like eight times (laughs) that there's something about, and I, and I would include ritual in that, in that idea of play. You know, ritual is a way of, 
of taking what's internal and making it externalizing some internal reality. And so, um, and so in, as you approach this, uh, this, this idea of wandering in your place, approach it in a playful way, crossing this threshold, imagining that, this, that everything is enchanted. Introduce yourself to, to, the, <laughs> to the trees. Laugh at yourself at how silly you feel talking to a tree when people are walking by. But as you do that, um, approach every other being reverently. John O'Donohue, the uh, Irish mystic uh, and theologian, said that if we, it's, it's all about the nature of our approach. What we approach reverently, when we approach things reverently, great things decide to approach us. I think that's true. It's like when, reverence is what, is what offers dignity to the other. And so whatever that reverence means to you, you know, approach each of those beings in a reverent way, you know, even bowing toward them, asking permission to enter into a conversation, you know, in, in a playful way, write a poem, um, see what comes, imagine uh, what it's like to be this, this squirrel running, on the, running away from the owl on the, on the branch. Like, and and that's, that, that helps our empathic listening. And so I think just as we, as we do that, as you introduce yourself to these others, as you listen to these others, and you open your heart to not just an encounter, but a relationship, and see what, see what decides to make themselves known to you. And I think we all have this capacity, I would bet most of your listeners have had an experience like this throughout their life. Maybe they didn't have spiritual language for it, or... Maybe they didn't even tell anybody about it, but they had, a, I found that most people have these, these, you know, sort of like odd encounters that this other being seems to know that I'm here and seems to be regarding me. It's not a one-way thing. I'm not just loving this forest, but this forest somehow loves me. Like just to sort of wrap your heart around that um, as you wander slowly, and it's a very slow, reverent walking you know it's a slow reverence communicating it's different than taking a hike and you can feel the difference if you enter into it with intentionality and uh, with an intention of of practicing reverence so that would be the invitation is to get to know your others on this more intimate level and see who calls you into deeper relationship hmm. and see what they have to say i mean you're in this together joanna macy um tells this story all the time, so you've probably heard it before, but her, her friend John Seed, who's an activist in, in Australia, she asked him once, 40 years ago, you know, how do you do this? How do you stand up against these, these tractors that are going to take down a forest and constantly do this work? And he said he had an experience where he knew that the forest like was right behind him, that the forest had called him into relationship. He could feel the forest standing behind him and that they had commissioned him to be the part of the forest that has human language. <laughs> and so, he, you know, it's like just that, that imaginal and yet real way of knowing, experiencing that we're not in this alone. And uh, the place has an opinion. Like I talk to churches all the time who have land. It's like, well, what does your land want? Have you asked? Have you asked the land what what needs to happen here? I'm like, oh no, most of them no. Oh, never thought of that. <laughs> and but but asking that, like, it's a simple question. You'd be surprised what uh, what comes up for you. Maybe it's a couple of days later. 
there's the invitation. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, that's a really lovely, just sort of the, the invitation to remember that the larger world, the ecosystems we live in, the plants and animals that are there also have agency. Mm-hmm. And that some amount of courtship and listening is is it's a, such a beautiful way to start and to shift the perspective there. So I really appreciate that invitation. Thank you. Well, we're sort of coming up to the top of the hour here. It's been really lovely just to get a sense of the work that you're doing. And um, yeah, I'm so grateful to get to spend the time with you and super grateful for your work and service in the world. It's really kind of, you know, starting the week out with an image of 2000 or more different groups of humans who are regenerating and remembering and thinking about what they might embody as far as rituals and connection in order to just root themselves into place is really quite inspiring, you know, because, yeah, I think just grounding in, I have a lot of faith in human agency and the connection of, you know, the the sort of like quiet revolution of people taking responsibility and going on that kind of hero's journey of exile and return and doing that as a community and atoning for things and, you know, becoming new again as a culture. And I think it's just lovely to think of that happening in kind of a slow grassroots, non-hand wavy way. It's just, it's people are out there, they're exploring it on their own. It doesn't need to be a big hype. It doesn't need to be a big production, but it's a lot of work. And the only people who can do that work are just individual humans making the choice, you and I and others. So, yeah, yeah, it's the the work at the top is important, and the work at, at the grassroots in this very quiet way is probably even more important. So it's just all of it's important, and it undergirds. You know, this is just undergirding the whole. Yeah, well, it's it's what empowers there to be real foundation. You know, yeah. people change leaders. You know, th- those of us who are trying to do ambitious and big things can only do it if we have communities that are supporting us, yeah. if we have practices that are sustaining us. So, yeah, it's yeah. just really, really lovely. So thank you for for that work. It's really exciting. Yes, and thank you for yours as well. So good to bring so many people together. Remember, we're not alone. You know, there's lots of other people doing their part of it. And so that helps us to say, okay, good. I can, I can deepen into my part of it because I know somebody else is <laughs> working on these other parts too. So thank you so much. Yeah. And have many blessings and good, you know, graceful journey to uh, Scotland and Ireland. I hope it's really beautiful. And, um, and then the rest of your exploration, may it um, yeah, bring you all sorts of unforeseen blessings and opportunities. Thank you so much. Wild blessings to you, my friend. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 